but again, we are doing this class on biblical justice, trying to understand um, as believers, um, how do we understand the topic of justice, you know, what is right, what is equitable, what is fair, um, in light of the fact that many people, right, both Christians and non-Christians have different understandings of that word justice. You know, we want to understand what does the Bible have to say on the topic and really try to appreciate and understand why is it and in what ways uh, can godly Christians disagree on how to interpret certain events, right? So as we're going to be seeing, there's a number of cases in which people are very much um, you know, contradicting or twisting what scripture has to say and making their own definitions and just uh, trying to say that the believers should all do X, Y, and Z. Um, that's one, you know, case that we want to avoid. But there's also different areas in which Christians who believe the same truths of scripture um, can believe the same Bible, uh, but then end up in different positions on issues. Because as we'll see, it's not an issue of disagreeing on scripture in itself. It's how we're interpreting certain world events here. So just to summarize what we've done, remember the first class was just trying to define justice as an overview. How do we understand um, those words in their original language and how we understand them? So the definition, I, I tweaked it a little bit just to make it a little bit easier to follow, is that justice is the presence of right, fair, and good conduct and treatment in society. So it's the way that we interact with people interpersonally, right? That is in our relationships with people. Then of course, what you see in the level of society and that's with the authorities and the government and how laws are carried out, um, that our interactions are done in a way in which what is right, what is fair and what is good is being upheld. You know, that's the idea of then wicked doers being punished, um, that which is righteous activity being promoted. And the way that we want to understand what is truly just behavior is, of course, going to the nature and the character of God. It's not that anyone can just define justice however we want. We want to say, who is God and how does he show himself to be just? And as we saw in that first week, a number of scriptures where we see that he is a God of justice and he loves justice and how he carries out the various laws that we see in the Old Testament show us uh, some examples of what justice can look like. We also saw that um, justice is very closely connected to righteousness. Right? You know, we, we use the analogy of how justice and righteousness are kind of two sides of the same coin. If you were to define both, you see already how they're very similar. Um, but, you know, maybe some difference is that if both justice and righteousness involve moral goodness, justice tends to emphasize the idea of people being treated fairly or as they should be. And righteousness focuses more on the character of God. So it's not that they're completely different or completely the same. There is much overlap, but there is the difference in terms of emphasis there. And uh, one of the takeaways we had for the first session was that when you're looking at the definition of justice, right, we broke down a number of passages to understand it. We know that just understanding the term in itself doesn't tell you how to think about every single issue, right? Hopefully now we're all on the same page on what we're thinking about when we think of justice, but that won't say, here's how you should think on every single complex nuanced issue. And this was mentioned in the second class, but it applies here. Uh, so how should we be thinking about issues as being just or unjust? For instance, what we mentioned last week is that um, abortion in our country today can be seen as a justice issue in the sense that it is what is unrighteous, right? The, the killing of unborn lives uh, being instituted in law or being done at a societal level. And so as believers, you know, we would say that is an unrighteous act, that is a sinful act, but also it's an unjust act in the sense of what is good and right and fair not being upheld there.
So going into last week, we were trying to understand how do we apply justice today, right? So as New Testament believers who are under the new covenant, you know, we are saved in Christ, how should we relate to all of these passages about the Old Testament laws, about the nature of what justice is? And there's a, a number of principles, as you can see here, that we wanted to cover. Um, first is that Christians are not bound to the Mosaic law. So Jesus, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, is saying, I have, you know, not come to abolish the law and the prophets, I have come to fulfill them in that he, being the perfect righteous man, the perfect Jewish individual, fulfilled all the tenets of what the Mosaic law required. And so now that we are saved uh, by grace through faith in him, it's not that we look to all of the Mosaic laws and say, chapter and verse, we must follow every single aspect and nuance of these laws, right? It's, and, and that's why we can say, praise God, we can eat pork or, you know, shellfish or, you know, you, you can cut your hair in different ways that maybe the, the Nazarenes could not. Um, there's a lot of uh, practices that you saw in the Mosaic Law, which are not binding to us today. At the same time, we were trying to say that as New Testament believers, we don't want to just completely disregard the Old Testament. You know, we talked about the very sad um, case of what's happening with Andy Stanley's church and how um, him with many others are saying, you know, uh, we, we disregard the Old Testament because we are in Christ now. It, it's not really that important. We do believe that the Old Testament is still relevant to us as Christians, in part, as we saw, because everything that you're saying in the Mosaic Law reflects the character of who God is. And so we as believers, as we're called to become more and more like him, even though specific commands and specific ritual laws are no longer being practiced by us, the general spirit of the law of wanting to be like Christ and honor him still is very much in effect. And so then how else should we think? Well, we saw thirdly that in this New Testament or church era, we understand that our focus as believers, our focus as the church is on gospel discipleship. As we looked at the Great Commission, the understanding that we're called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, right? We evangelize and talk about the truth that salvation is found in Christ alone, even as we're hearing about now in John chapter 14, right? And so that is now the emphasis or the mission, if you want to use that word, of the church. You know, what is the main thing that every church needs to focus on is we are wanting to make disciples, you know, evangelize and invite people in so they can know Christ and then to mature and disciple them as we teach and we baptize and we help one another understand, you know, what it means to be a, a solid, mature believer. So how do we then take all of these different principles all together at once without wanting to disregard things unnecessarily? You know, we can see fourthly that Christians must be just individuals, right? As God is righteous and just, we too need to be just in all of our dealings with people. And therefore, we should also desire that justice is being upheld. Right? As individuals, it's not that we turn a blind eye to any form of wickedness or unrighteousness. We should be grieved when we see things that are not um, you know, honoring to God's sight. At the same time, we have to understand that justice is not the mission of the church, right? So it's that balance and that tension in which we care and desire that righteousness and what is fair and what is good is being upheld, but that's not the thing that we turn our entire focus on as a church. It not, it's not the mission that all of us have um, as believers. And so we ended then with this uh, contrast that we need to understand. A number of contrasts that we have, but this was a key one. There's a difference between what a Christian can do and what a Christian must do. And so we have to understand that in Christian liberty, right, assuming that you are 
honoring the Lord and you're engaging in church life as all of us are called to do, there are going to be some of those believers that have more of a, a desire and a heart to uh, spend some of their time doing quote-unquote justice activities. Now, what that is, obviously, is going to be some of the conversations we're going to be having over the next couple of weeks, but that's a very different case than what we often see in today's world in which people are saying, if you're a believer, you must fight for justice, or, you know, we're going to make our mission statement that we're going to fight every single injustice under the sun. Um, so we need to see that balance there, the difference between what in Christian liberty a believer can do versus what a, a believer must do. Maybe we'll get to this, but where's the distinction between discipleship and fighting for justice? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So uh, I don't know if we'll get there. I, I can answer it briefly here, right? So discipleship is just in all aspects, how are we seeking to love and know the Lord, right? So part of discipleship or growing in Christ-likeness can be that we should learn as believers that you must be just, right? So we use some of the examples before that. Christians should not be trying to, uh, you know, abuse their power or use, you know, their authority to steal money from people. You know, not you know, the example from the Old Testament is use unjust weights. So, you know, stealing money by, you know, telling a person one amount and then, you know, taking from them a different amount, right? So that could be an aspect of discipleship. All of us should become more like Christ in every single way, one of them being that we are just in ourselves. Uh, if what you were saying is how is it different than having a justice cause, is, is that maybe the nature? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, if I'm understanding what you're saying, yes. So believers, of course, a part of the discipleship is we want to become just if we are not. And so obviously, if you're running a business, part of discipleship is, yes, you must run that justly or fairly or, or righteously. Now, that doesn't mean that we see every single issue of justice in today's world. Again, you have to define that, as we're going to see some today and next week. Um, that's a whole different, you know, question. So that would be the realm in which there can be Christian liberty. You know, for instance, we talked about last week, there might be some believers that say, I see the unrighteous actions of, of human trafficking, and I want to bring the gospel to those people specifically, right? Um, believers can do that, but not every single believer is going to be called to do something like that. Uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and move on, but maybe if you have a specific question, we can uh, try to answer that. So these were some of the things that we were trying to Oh, does someone have? Uh, I actually don't know how to cancel that. Yeah, is there is there a Jonathan? Uh, okay. Oh, there we go. Okay, perfect. Hopefully that didn't cancel out some you know something really important that was going on there. But <laughs> yeah. All right. Someone's trying to send us a message. There's a bomb in the church. Yeah. There's not. There's not. But, but in case, you know, it's like I need to warn everyone I can. For the, for the recording, nothing is going wrong at the church. Uh, so then. <laughs> okay. Th thank you, Dana. Please do. So, so then we were trying to end the, 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 the class with trying to say, based on all of these factors, looking at the biblical principles and definitions of how we understand justice everything about how we should understand as New Testament believers, what is our mission and our focus, 
how do we begin to think about these difficult topics, right? We're going to get into that more today, but what we left off, what we left off on last week is how should we think or define injustice? Here's why Christians can disagree on interpreting some issues or questions, because there's three different lenses or layers of, of uh, these debates, right? Assuming you have two believers who have the same biblical understanding of everything that we've talked about in the last two weeks, people may still disagree on these three levels. Number one, the historical question, right? This is not only history, but can apply to our understanding of economics and science and all of those other areas in which the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us how to think about issues and interpret issues. Um, that's a whole question that, you know, people will need to have or, or a debate that people need to have. And so even if you agree on all the different biblical principles, if you're interpreting a historical event in different ways, you know, one person is seeing uh, an event that's taking place as being, you know, horrible and awful, and another person is saying, you know, I, I see the same event, but I don't think these bad things are happening. Even if you have the same understanding of biblical justice, uh, people might disagree. And of course, that, lead, uh, that leads to the judicial question of was it right? So how are we interpreting the moral significance, the moral goodness or badness of different events that are happening in our world today? Um, that's a level of conversation that I need to have. And then of course, the ethical question, right? So what should we do about it, if anything? And so even if you're believers and you're thinking that something is right or wrong, is there a responsibility that Christians need to do something or again, is this an area of Christian liberty or Christian freedom? And so as we're going into our conversation today, uh, we're looking at this idea of how do we dialogue in disagreement? So now, again, this is the last of our three kind of opening foundational sessions is trying to lay all the groundwork and biblical foundation um, before we get into more difficult specific types of conversations. Um, this is the last one, or what are some of the principles that we should be aware of as we try to have hard conversations? You know, we mentioned this last week. What's mostly unhelpful that we see are people have kind of 20-second sound bites on issues, right? You, they say, here's what's going on, here's why it's bad, and here's why the other side is wrong. Now back to you, you know, and then you see the news kind of move on. The reality is when we're having more difficult conversations, there is a lot of nuance as we're going to see. And so that's what we're going to try to do today is how do we understand how to have productive and fruitful conversations? One way of saying this is that how we dialogue and disagree is just as important as whether or not we are right. right? So the way in which we're dialoguing and having these conversations can be just as important as whether or not we are right. Uh, we'll see a number of verses that kind of allude to this, but one that I think hits part of the theme comes from Proverbs 16, verse 24. It says, Gracious, that is lovely and delightful, words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Right? So how should we be thinking about the way that we interact with people as believers? Is our words should be seasoned with grace. Uh, it should be edifying and building up, not tearing down unnecessarily. Clearly, Scripture says what it says, and we need to uphold the truth, as we'll see in a little bit. And there are times where clearly we identify people as a false teacher or something that's clearly unbiblical. Um, but in those areas in which there is more of a gray matter, we want to make sure we are being uh, gracious and loving and kind uh, with everyone, but especially in these types of conversations. So if you see in your notes, there's kind of two big picture headings that we're going to be covering. The first one a little bit faster than the second. Um, first, we're going to be looking at some overarching motivations. So 
in any conversation, what are the big picture elements of Christ-likeness and, and things that we should be thinking about? How can we make sure we are trying to honor the Lord in general in our conversations? But then we'll look at practical principles. So breaking down specific things to consider when we're talking about a difficult or a complex um, subject. And so first, if you're looking at the overarching motivations, we have, of course, the importance of truth. Right? So one passage, there's many you can go to, Ephesians 4.15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So of course, we understand this. We must be upholding, we must be proclaiming, we must be defending what is biblically true. And so we don't want to be in conversations around hard topics or really any topics where you just let people say, well, you have your truth, I have mine, and it's all just whatever, right? We don't want to be making statements like that. We need to say, no, you know, what God's word said is absolute true, right? There is a sense of objective truth, and it's not that we can just define it willy-nilly or however we want, right? We don't want to let people just uh, assert whatever unbiblical opinions or positions they have, where we end up tolerating whatever it is people want to say because we want to be a nice person, right? Hopefully we should be gracious like Christ is, and yet at the same time know and affirm what is truthful, right? That is important. Um, secondly, of course, we need to be loving in the way that we engage with people. And actually, I forgot that I have a slide for this here. We need to be loving in the way that we engage. All of us know 1 Corinthians 13 is that very famous passage on the nature of love and the outworking of love there. You know, I'll just read it for us here. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And it goes on and on a little bit more about the nature of love. Um, the, the conversations we have with people need to be based on our desire to really care for them as a person, right? As an image bearer of God, if they're a non-believer, and of course, as a brother or sister in Christ, if they are saved. And so we have to make sure that we're not getting so into an argument that our biggest desire is to be right, or our biggest desire is to win the argument. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about truth, because we should, but do we also have just as much of a desire to show love and care to this image bearer that we're talking to, right? So maybe they are completely off, right? You do want to show them the truth of God's word and show them how they're thinking things unbiblically, but is the desire just to prove that you're right or is it, is it to genuinely care and love them? And so we need everything that we're doing to be based in love, but also in holiness, in the sense that the way that we treat them, right, the way that we're having these conversations needs to be in a Christ-like honoring manner. And so going back to 1 Corinthians 13, you know, all those different aspects that you're seeing in love, you'll notice are mostly forms of righteousness, right? There are ways that you can demonstrate Christ-like character and being patient and kind and not being envious and not boasting and not being arrogant or rude, right? So the way that we have conversations, and again, it's just as important as what you're talking about, all right? And all of us know this well, right? Let's say you're talking with, um, you know, your spouse or someone that you, you know very well, and for some reason they left the front door open, and, you know, you have one of those cameras that always sees what's going on, and you go up to your spouse and say, you left the door open, honey, right? That, that's not a good thing. And then your spouse denies it, saying, no, I, I didn't do that, you know, just, 
but then you, you show them the video, right? And then you get in their face like, you left the door open, honey, right? And you start getting more angry in their face of how could you do this? Are, here's the thing, are you right? We would say yes, right? The, the spouse in that case clearly did, you know, leave the door open, but were you wrong in how you actually shared your truth, right? Very much so. And so the way that we're having debates and conversations need to make sure, even though you might be on very difficult, important topics, that it's still being fleshed out in a spirit of love. There's a, a pastor in California, I think he's still there, named Johnny Artavanis, and he had this wonderful quote. He said, truth disseminators disqualify themselves when the wisdom they offer is divorced from gentleness and humility. You can be doctrinally right, but be way wrong. When you present truth in a snarky, slanderous, and maligning manner, God is dishonored, right? So I'm not saying that you should not care about what's biblically true and defend that and have hard conversations. We should, but the manner in which we do that needs to model Christ. It should uh, honor Christ well in how we disagree and how we have these hard conversations. Fourthly, what's another overarching motivation? Everything, and this is specifically for our relationship to non-believers, needs to focus on our unity in Christ. So one of many passages, Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, right? So what is Paul's emphasis there? The way that you're treating one another, Philippians, the way that you interact with believers, make sure that you are all being spiritually unified. You're showing that you are all the family of Christ. You are all on the same page, right? You're, you're not trying to divide and, and see conflict arise over time. And so even in difficult disagreements, when we're talking about some of these matters, you know, we, we should make sure that we're not trying to unnecessarily divide over every secondary or tertiary matter. You know, I, I alluded to this briefly, but there's that idea of, of theological triage, which Pastor Jeremiah is going to teach in a class in the next block. We understand what are the most important doctrinal issues in which Christians will divide over, right? Because these are matters of salvation and matters of heresy and whether a person is truly a, a follower of Christ or not. Right? And so if a person is distorting the nature of the gospel to emphasize some justice point, yes, that can be a very uh, big danger. But if a person has the right understandings of the gospel, and now we have secondary or tertiary matters where we're not compromising on scripture, but having uh, conversations on more difficult matters, these are the types of conversations in which we should not divide over. It doesn't mean we're not going to disagree because people will but we want to have the difficult conversations in a manner in which we're showing, hey, even if we land in difficult cases here, because I know that we're not compromising on the doctrine of scripture, I still love you as a brother. Now, we can still have this conversation and see each other on Sunday the next day and, and give each other a hug and, and just love uh, one another well. As believers, right, as long as we're not compromising on doctrine and, and the truth of God's word, uh, when we have these difficult conversations. We want to promote the spirit of unity. And again, this applies to believers, right? Because we can't have this level of unity with unbelievers because we, we're not part of the same church. Sometimes this is where uh, believers can go wrong in which they're so big on this idea of we're all called to love one another. You know, let's go ahead and embrace the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or the Catholics that are also fighting for the same cause. It doesn't mean we don't show them love, but of course, we understand that we don't have the same spiritual unity in Christ. 
you know, that, um, that with, with those people there. So again, these are just four overarching motivations, right? Any type of difficult conversation, how do we make sure we are upholding what is true, that we are being loving in the same spirit of Christ, we are honoring him and our character and our holiness in how we have these conversations, and we are remembering our unity in Christ, right? What is truly something to divide over versus an area in which godly Christians can disagree. Uh, now, to go into some of the practical principles. I just want to know that as we're looking at some of these, I did my best to find verses that can illustrate or help us think about some of these issues. But just know that some of these verses I'm mentioning here, you know, doing proper hermeneutics, I'm not saying this is the one sole meaning of the text, right? I'm saying, you know, here's a verse and here's some implications uh, or applications of the text in which this can be a helpful thing to consider. So just something to keep in mind in case you read a verse and say, I've never seen that there. You know, sometimes it's not the exact meaning that we're, we're finding. It's just an implication of the principle. So uh, the first one, discern the category of your difference. And, and this is actually what we were talking about even last week. Um, yeah, maybe for time's sake, I'll go ahead and read this. But we have from Romans 14, you know, verse 2 and 3, and then verse 13. The whole passage applies, but obviously for time, I just wanted to read a section of it. Um, here's what Paul says. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide not to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Right? And so there's a specific context here that we can't go into the full details, but it's the idea of these believers that are struggling over whether they should eat the, the types of meat that was being offered to idols, or again, the idea of the Jewish cultural background versus the Gentile background of how they saw different types of meat. And what is Paul's point here? He's trying to say, look, ultimately, if you are free in Christ, then when it comes to these gray areas of personal conscience or conviction, it's okay when you disagree. Right? Just make sure you're not taking your position and forcing it on other people. Right? So the direct context has to do with meat and convictions of idolatry and things like that. But I do think that one of the implications that we can see here right, is, is that same idea. When we're talking about an issue, is it truly something that is a biblical cut and dry black and white issue? Or is it a difference in how we're interpreting different events of today's world? So as we mentioned before, see the difference between a biblical interpretation in which we need to make sure we are 100% right and then socioeconomic, historical or scientific interpretation, right? So as we're thinking about events in history, Obviously, we want to know what's true, but we recognize in a lot of events, people are going to disagree on how to think about certain events. And so here, you know, I just said, know that there's a range of obvious to not obvious facts. And what I mean by that is not to say that truth is subjective and there are some things that are not true, but it's the idea that some aspects of our world are very obvious that people will agree on. Right? You know, you think about uh, the Nazi Holocaust and what a tragedy that was, right? That, in fact, um, the Jewish people were indeed targeted in, in such a horrific type of way. Um, but there are going to be many conversations we have in which people are not going to agree on what truly happened, right? If you're thinking about the moral level or the judicial level of last time. 
And so we need to make sure we get this right. So many times we can, if people are disagreeing on a fact of science or how to interpret something, as we'll get to in two weeks with global warming, um, if that's the difference, we have to be careful that we're not assuming their belief about scripture. Right? They might have a very unbiblical view of scripture that you want to address, but you want to understand what is the level of difference that you're actually having right now. Is this truly a Bible conversation, or do you all have the same beliefs of the Bible and you're really having a conversation about history or uh, whatever these other categories are? Uh, okay, a, a second um, thing to consider. We want to understand a position's nuance. And what I mean by that, as you see in that second part, we want to be careful not to oversimplify or overgeneralize a person's belief. Right? And so one passage you can look at is Proverbs 18, 17. It says this, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Right? So again, it's, it's a little bit of a different context, but it's saying when a person is just sharing um, a, a story, right? they're sharing their perspective, they're probably sharing a lot of the truth or parts of what they think are the truth, but they're not going to always understand the full picture of what's going on, right? And so the wisdom there is, of course, you want to hear the other side of the story to make sure you're not being biased in the way that you're taking things in. And um, what is the implication for us is that as we're hearing a person share whatever it is their view is on whatever issue, it's very easy to overgeneralize, right? To say, because you've said this, I think you're really also implying or affirming this. And that's where we have to be careful. Uh, actually, this isn't, again, not the, the purpose of the story, but an, an illustration. In, in Acts 21, right, you're seeing this big deal as Paul is getting arrested and, and the Jews and the Judaizers and religious leaders are, are hating his guts. And, and part of what led to the story, right, in Acts 21, 27, 30, is they saw Paul right, with a Gentile named Trophimus. So they saw him walking around in the city. And then, as the text says, it said that they assumed, therefore, that he had brought Trophimus into the temple in which Jews were not allowed, right? So part of why they were getting so um, upset, or at least what they were saying is they thought Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple, but they didn't actually see it, right? What actually happened? They had seen Paul with Trophimus, and they made an assumption about what he was doing. So again, it's not the purpose of the text, but it's just a, a picture in which you see that here. And so we see this happen so often, right? A person will make a statement and either we or other people will make an assumption about other things that they're really saying or what they truly believe. Uh, there's now a, a pretty well-known illustration on this on YouTube. Um, there is this uh, now famous uh, interview, a 30-minute interview between this newscaster and a man named Jordan Peterson. Now, I don't endorse everything that Jordan Peterson says. I pray that he comes to know Christ, right? None of this is trying to endorse him. Um, but what happened over the course of this 30 minutes was very uh, informative, I think, for us and many people. Um, because as they were dialoguing on, not, on a number of issues, and again, this newscaster was trying to really get at what he believed on, on different matters, he would make a statement, and then she would say, so what you're saying is this, right? And it would be a very, very different thing than what he was trying to say. And he would say, that's not what I'm saying at all. Let me re-clarify, right? Then you go back and forth. And it became kind of humorous because it happened so many times back and forth where if you're really listening, you begin to wonder, how on earth could you make those types of, you know, jumps? So, so let me just give you two examples. Again, people can have different thoughts on these topics, but it's just showing you the point. 
At one point, they're talking about the uh, wage gap between men and women, right? And he makes a statement like this. Um, well, there are multiple variables for why women typically are paid 9% less than men, right? So he's trying to say there's different aspects. And the um, news reporter says, so you're saying it doesn't matter that women get paid less, right? So, so hopefully you're already seeing that that's, that's twisting his words, you know? And then again, very graciously, over 30 minutes, he says, no, that's not what I'm saying. Let me clarify. And he says the other, uh, one other example. He says, one of the factors, again, talking about the, the wage difference, one of the factors is that agreeable people tend to get paid less, right? The idea that they're not fighting for wages that they can. Women tend to be more agreeable than men. Maybe some of us would agree with that. Uh, but then the woman says this. So you're saying women are too agreeable to get paid as they deserve, right? So <laughs> again, twisting what he said. None of that is an endorsement of, of any person or any position, but hopefully you, you get the idea of, of what we're trying to get at here, right? Uh, when people say a statement of what they're believing, it's so easy for us to overshoot that and overgeneralize to say, I think what you're really believing is all this stuff. You know, then we're adding on to what they're trying to say. So we need to understand a position's nuance in that, okay, I've heard a statement that you've made. Can you clarify what you're trying to say? You know, what, what exactly do you mean? And then from what you said, do you also mean this? Is this also something that you're believing here? Uh, and so many different examples that you see, but I'll just give one example. And again, we'll talk about this more next week, right? It's not trying to make a big statement, but there are those believers that will make this type of claim. Again, hopefully in a gracious, charitable way. I think that in today's world, racism is still an issue, right? You know, a, a statement like that. And sometimes you'll hear believers say something like this. So you're saying we should abandon the gospel and embrace neo-Marxism, right? Now, there are believers that are endorsing things like neo-Marxism, right? There are believers that have compromised the gospel and twisted what is true. But when we're having conversations with people on moral issues, we want to be careful that we're not overstating what a person is trying to state. Understand that there's going to be nuance in conversations and what a person truly affirms. And again, this is uh, where you have this last statement. It really requires two-way conversations and not sound bites. So oftentimes, right, you hear a person make a statement. Now there's this inference about what else they're believing or saying, and now it's on the news and this person is a horrible being, right? And so as believers that are trying to be wise and charitable and discerning, we want to make sure that we're not uh, overshooting uh, conversations. Uh, understand it in its nuance, be discerning. Now related to that is uh, our next kind of principle here. We want to be careful with condemning labels. Uh, I'll go ahead and read James 4.11 for us here, but here's what it says. It says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Right? A, a lot more context there. Um, but it's that word, do not slander one another, brothers. Um, does anyone know what um, slander means in this context? What it means to slander another person? Oh, um, go ahead, Michelle. Spread lies. Okay, yeah. So it can be saying something that's uh, a direct lie. Mm -hmm. It's also, in general, the idea of saying unnecessarily derogatory words that are meant to condemn a person. Right? So part of that very much can be, uh, there typically are something that's a lie. But it's the idea of, I'm saying something to put this person down, a word that's unnecessarily hurtful, uh, more than it needs to actually be, because it's not truly representing the truth about this individual. Right? You're speaking evil against the individual there. 
And so uh, the, the principle for us is we have to think, as we're having these difficult conversations, right, and there can be people that would fall under categories like a heretic or a Marxist or whatever other labels that we want to use, there are people that can fall under different words or terms that we would use, but we want to be careful. Does the person that we're speaking to truly deserve a term for moral badness, right? So when we are using certain terms that we are using to say, hey, this is a negative category, uh, a bad person, or they're, they're believing something that is wrong, does this individual truly deserve that? Because right? sometimes we have to be careful. We can have this posture, and it's not every single believer, but it's this thought going back to our previous point. If a person disagrees with me on this issue or holds a certain belief, it's because they are a bad person, right? That's not every single one of us. I'm not saying that at all, but we want to be careful with that. And so think about some of the labels that we use in conversation, some of the, the words that we would call it an individual, depending on what we mean by that, right? This is where it really gets the heart of each of us. Are we trying to speak down or speak evil about an individual that maybe doesn't deserve it, right? Because for instance, let, let's use the word uh, a false teacher. In this modern church age, there are many false teachers, right? There are many individuals who have twisted the gospel. They're preaching prosperity news, and, and they're just wanting to uh, fill their pockets with money. That is something that as believers we can recognize and address and say, that is wrong and that is evil because they're twisting the gospel. But then we have to be careful that when we're talking about a person who is a pastor or a church leader, are they truly a false teacher or not? Right? So we, wanna, we don't want to overuse that label because when we do, then we can be guilty of slandering or defaming or speaking evil of an individual. And so here's one very practical example. And again, I, I want to say this with caution because it's, it's very nuanced person by person. But even that term uh, woke, right? A lot of us use that. We've heard it said a lot over the media. Of course, we have to understand every one of us, every person has a different understanding of what they mean when they say that word, right? Some people just mean uh, it's these beliefs that I don't fully understand. Others of us use it to say a democratic belief. Others will use it to say this is a morally evil person or belief, right? And so I understand every person has a different understanding or use of the word, right? So that's why I'm not saying a, you know, a, a overgeneralized statement, but we do want to be careful when we, when we think about a term like that. You know, what do we personally mean when we say it? Um, how is it understood or interpreted by other people? Uh, and again, that's going to be different uh, from every single context. But with that then, as we're talking about different issues, let's say you are using that word, what do you mean by it? How is it understood? If you're going to talk about a certain person being that, do they truly deserve that label? Or... Could, but it, could it potentially be an overgeneralization? Now, that can vary person by person, right? So I'm not saying that uh, never use the word or everyone use the word. Every case is different. Um, but for instance, I, I'm pretty sure if we did this, I, I did think about doing it, but I realized it would take a lot of time. If we had people write a sheet of paper and say, define that word, uh, I'm pretty sure we would have at least five or six different understandings, right? So we want to be careful about uh, what some of our words actually mean. So this kind of ties again with the previous point about the interview. Some people have called this the Newman effect, right? It's where we interpret statements that we disagree with in the most unflattering and inflammatory light possible. As believers, right, there are things which are inflammatory and horrible, and we want to recognize that. But if it's not truly the case, we don't want to overshoot 
or overdefined how we understand different parts of conversation. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next one. <laughs> and I, I don't even like this term. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm curious where the phrase comes from. Uh, does anyone know? <laughs> Charlie, you do? Uh-huh. So that it was a lot of work to get the bath water into the house and get it all warmed up. So basically the whole house bathed in that bath water. By the time it got down to the baby, mm -hmm. six, seven, eight people, and there were people working out dirty. That water got pretty dark. Mm. Oh. So careful not to yeah. try to be not too descriptive. Yes, well, yes. You do dump the water, but you did forget to leave the baby in Yeah. There. Okay. <laughs> well that, that that's helpful. I, I've always wondered that because I can never understand how would how would anyone think about this? Um, well, hopefully, okay. One, we understand how horrible of a picture and a mistake that would be, right? And hopefully, you get what what Charlie is trying to say, right? We don't want to take what would be a, a good, nice, beautiful thing like a baby and and toss it out with with other things that you do want to get rid of. And it's it's this idea here, right? We want to be able to recognize the parts of a position that we can agree with, right? So even if you're going to disagree with an individual, a fellow believer on a number of things, and you're having a conversation around some really difficult, hard topic, yes, you want to be able to show what is biblically true. You want to show areas in which they are twisting the gospel or having wrong understandings about the church's mission and focus and all of these different aspects in which you want to show what is right from what is wrong. At the same time, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? You want to be able to say, here are the nine ways in which I think what you're saying is wrong and unbiblical, but I do think these two things that you're saying are biblically true. Right? So we don't want to, again, overgeneralize things. Um, an example, right? This is not the, the focus of the text, but it's an example that we see it being done, is Acts 17, uh, 22 to 23. And, and this is Paul, again, standing before the Areopagus. He's preaching to a number of, of uh, Gentile pagans, those who don't follow Christ. He says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Right? And so again, he's understanding the, the cultural background that he's in, saying, yes, um, you know, you're clearly uh, worshiping things that are sinful and wrong, but I recognize that you are saying there is this unknown deity. Right? Maybe you don't fully know who he is, but let me tell you about him. Right? And then goes off to talk about the truth of Jesus and the fact that they are condemned and they need to turn to him. Uh, you know, what Paul doesn't do is saying, all of you are horrible people and, and now you must repent, right? There, there are probably are cases in which he did that depending on the context. Again, I don't know, right? But he's trying to say, here's this one element in which I'm going to take a, a glimpse of truth that you are affirming and then using that to then turn to the gospel message, right? Um, so again, taking this principle here, when we're talking with an individual, you know, even if you disagree with 90% of it, don't go so far in which you just block the person out wholesale. But as part of having reasonable, wise conversations, we should be able to say, hey, this one point you made, that actually is a biblical idea, right? And point then to scripture to show, um, because it, this last point is very important. If we can't identify the good in a bad position, we are, that's supposed to be likely overgeneralizing and not discerning, 
the, the conversation, right? So we want to be able to show where things are wrong, but if we can't see the good, even if it's small, in a bad position, we are likely overgeneralizing and not being discerning enough, right? So that's not trying to, again, go into everything we said, accept everything and say truth is relative. It's just trying to say, in a discerning conversation, do you know the points in which something can be pointed to as biblical or scriptural? Okay. No. <laughs> I like what you did there. <laughs> and Tim, you are a lawyer, right? So <laughs> very good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah. And yeah. So to, to clarify for those that maybe are listening on the recording and don't see Tim's face, yeah, there are some positions in which everything that's being said is wrong, which I know is is not what you were trying to get at. Um, so we, yes, that, that's where we have discernment. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever, whatever it is. Okay. I have, uh, a, I have a good example of that. I was having oh, sure. a conversation with someone about feminism versus femininity, and I had pointed out that feminism was wrong, and they got really mad at me. So I went and looked online, and the definition of feminism is just um, like a care for women's rights. And so I was like, okay, I understand what you're saying. Like, I was talking about the viewpoint of feminism as we see it in our culture, but the actual definition of it, hmm. I agree with. Like, I do care about women's rights. So anyway, so yeah. I just thought that was... Like, yeah, that's a, that's a great example there, right? So just to re-clarify in case, you know, um, you didn't understand, it's uh, having femininity versus feminism. Uh, how do we define feminism, right? So maybe we have a certain understanding. And again, like any term, we understand many people have a different idea, right? So, but what is the true basic de definition of feminism? Is that we care for women's rights. You know, we care that in that sense, justice is being done. Now, how do you define what is truly fair is the, the whole nature of the conversation, right. which is probably what you were getting at, which is, we well. Big, yeah, we had a big argument. So yeah. once I figured that out, I was like, oh, I, you know, I could mm -hmm. apologize even though I wasn't wrong, I, but I offended them without realizing it. Yeah, yeah. And say, so, yeah, you know, what scripture says is all of us are made equal before God, right? Men and women are made in God's image. And, you know, looking at the book of Galatians, salvifically, we're all the same. There's no difference between men or women, Jew and Gentile, salvifically. Um, you can emphasize something like that as even a bridge point to then say, okay, so let's talk about where else we do disagree and why. Um, but then that is, becomes a better understanding, which they're not walking away thinking, Hillary hates women. You know, how on earth could she not wish that she was treated equal to her husband? Um, yeah, that's, that's a really helpful point. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe two others. And again, I'd love to have some more dialogue as we kind of wrap this up too, but just want to go over the principles first. Uh, last two we have. So this one is understand the proper place of personal experience. Right now, experience is one of those terms in a personal experience that's so uh, overused by a lot of people in, in different degrees. Um, but I think that we do even see that there is a healthy way in which we can reference our personal experience, right? So you have Philippians 3, uh, 4 to verse 7. Paul is trying to emphasize again his Jewishness here, at least for this point, And he says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
right? He's, he's emphasizing what he's gone through and who he is. And then he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, right? So he's saying, this is all the elements to which, you know, what I'm doing should be leading up to your side of being the best Jew possible, but none of it counts for anything. And again, this is not the focus of the text, but an implication is that Paul was trying to draw from his past credentials to make a theological point, right? So as believers, we understand that we are all interacting. We have lives that we are living and we have experiences, but here, here's the key thing. We need to make sure we're doing it biblically and wisely. So there's two dangers on either side. The first is to overemphasize our personal experience, right? And we see a lot of this in today's world. Uh, some people will call it standpoint epistemology, if you want the, the technical term, in which you're saying, wherever I come from, whatever I've lived through, this is my truth. Right? So therefore, because I've experienced something, this is true, no matter what else you say. And that's a very dangerous type of position that we can have, which we do see in, in a lot of the, the justice conversations of today, which is, I've experienced X, Y, and Z, and therefore X, Y, and Z is the objective truth for all people, right? So that is something that we wanna be careful of, that we're not saying, because I've had this experience, you must accept it as the, the, the fact for all of life. On the opposite extreme, we don't want to underemphasize a person's experience. And what do I mean by that? It's not that because a person has lived it, therefore it's right. It's just trying to say that we all live lives in which we experience real hurt and suffering and pain. Right? And so part of having conversations with people, right, as, as Paul would say in Romans 12, 15, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So in conversations, we should be able to show empathy for people in whatever circumstance they're going through. Right? And so, you know, let's say a person's trying to make a conversation, which we'll, we'll get into next week. Um, you know, I've experienced, um, you know, racism from a, a police officer, and, and therefore, right, I think all police officers are bad, that type of thing. We'll, we'll get into the whole conversation, but at minimum, right, you should not be walking and say, you are all you unbiblical heretics not talking to me, right? Maybe you'll get there. Maybe that person believes something like that. But can you show the level of Christ-like empathy and compassion if a person is truly experienced a hurt, right? Every, every case is different. Every situation is different. But are we showing that level of empathy, which as believers we should be able to do? And so this would be the other extreme, right? In, in any type of theological argument, uh, we can always kind of pendulum from one side to the other. And so we don't want to be those standpoint epistemologists, right? That is truly unbiblical because God's word is the only source and definition of truth. At the same time, don't go so far on the other extreme in which we're now just ignoring people's experiences and hurt in whatever ways those may be. Um, okay, last one, just for, for time, because I, I do want to have some more conversation. We want to be discerning with statistics. And I, I couldn't find a, a chapter and verse that would be um, helpful for this, but I do think this is just a genuine uh, or general wisdom principle. And it says this. Statistics and research can be helpful you know, for the conversations that we're having, but they can also be cherry-picked to prove any point you want to make. So as we're thinking about conversations that we're having, you know, it is helpful to know, hey, what are some of the analytics or demographics or research studies that have been done to understand what's truly going on here? Um, but it's, it, we have to be careful, because depending on who you're talking to, right? You may end up either as a pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. 
um, you know, whatever types of positions you want to take, you can find any different uh, research article that proves any point that you want to be able to make. So I'm not saying that we ignore uh, research and, and different things that are done because that is helpful, right? You want to understand why people will land in different places and in different understandings of history or science. Um, but it's never going to be the end all be all. Uh, hey, I read this statistic here. Therefore, here's what's happening in this justice issue. Maybe that is the truth, right? But as many of these conversations are, it's, it's complicated and nuanced. And so, yes, talk about what we're seeing in history and why you think something is true, but don't overgeneralize from it. There's maybe just one story here, and, and some of these are, are kind of uh, race-oriented because some of these books are very much in, in that direction. But uh, there's one example of uh, speeding tickets that were assessed in, I think, the Washington, D.C. area. I, I think it was Washington, D.C., and in this particular speed trap, what they were finding was that um, African-American individuals were being cited twice as much as uh, other ethnic groups, you know, for these speeding tickets. And so, again, you know, there were these statistics that were pulled and done to show that it's literally twice as much. Um, and again, you know, a lot of discussion and questions around that. Um, but as more research was eventually done, they realized that at least for that particular time, um, there were those individuals that were speeding more, you know, than other people there, right? So I'm not saying any type of generalization, but this is the reality when it comes to statistics. It can help us to know the truth of, of circumstances and situations, but it's never going to give us the end-all be-all because scripture alone is the thing that we can point to as a source of truth. Okay, I know that was probably a lot, right? So let me give you one or two maybe summarizing thoughts here. So Again, when we're thinking through all of these principles that we talked about, right, none of these are inherently saying, therefore, here's how you must think on X, Y, and Z issues, right? What we're trying to understand is that when it comes to difficult topics in which there's many layers of complexity, we want to be discerning in how we're having these conversations, right? That we don't overgeneralize, that we don't attack and slander people unnecessarily that we're willing to listen and truly understand where a person is coming from, all at the same time holding and saying, I know what the Bible says is absolutely true. And so that's why it's important that we are hearing all three of our sessions so far, because as we saw in the first session, we need to know what the Bible says about the topic of justice. We can't interpret it and define it however we wish. We know that God has said what is absolutely true. Right, we looked at the second week of how do we understand as New Testament believers what is our emphasis and focus in the, pro the proclamation of the gospel and the making of disciples. And so we understand the balance between what a Christian can do versus what a Christian must do. And we don't want to get that wrong because a lot of justice conversations do get that wrong. But then as we engage in conversation, we're going to go through three examples over the next three weeks, but there's many other ways that you can take these conversations. These are some of the principles that we want to consider, right? Be discerning with our statistics. Understand experience's proper place, right, in a discerning kind of way. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Understand the good, even if it's small and what's going on. Um, be careful with our condemning or slandering labels. Um, understand a position's nuance. Again, don't overgeneralize and discern the category of your difference. And so as we go into these next three weeks, um, I hope that all of these principles are, are helpful to think through. That's why I try to encourage us, you know, really hear all three sessions because this is now just the foundation, right? Hopefully what we've said is we have some of the basic understanding of how to have a difficult conversation. 
And then as we go through each of these topics, right, I'm not going to say, and therefore here's what all of us should now think and believe, right? I'm going to try to say, what are the biblical principles? Why do some Christians land on different types of the equation? And what are some other ways that we, we should be thinking about it? Again, not lashing out in anger or hatred, being charitable and wise in how we do it. Um, but I hope that we can go into these next three weeks with these same truths as well. And wanting to uphold the truth, doing it in love, being Christ-like, and uh, maintaining the unity of Christ as we can. So um, I, hope that, I hope that that's been helpful as kind of a starting point. Now I'd love to know um, what other questions you guys have. Right? We'll, we'll try to hold the specific case studies to the next three weeks, but if you have uh, questions about some of these principles that we talked about, if you have examples, even as Hillary mentioned, in which you've also seen this done, again, in a, in a gracious, kind way, we'd love to hear it and know that as well. So any thoughts, questions? Yeah, Lauren. <laughs> yeah. um, I had once put something that John MacArthur said about that um, truth in and of itself is an act of love. And if, uh, a few people that I know were just like, didn't like that at, at all. And partly because they don't like him. Mm. <laughs> trying to understand the other person and trying to do a lot of things in a loving manner. But is the goal to preach with, you know, get across what the Bible says? Or is it to be, you know, so loving in your interaction that the truth gets lost mm. trying to outdo each other? In yeah. Life? Are you trying to... Mm. Yeah. What it says. So, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm wrestling with that a, a lot mm. because a lot of certain people want to put a lot of emphasis on, well, that's, you know, they're not even reacting to what, you know, the scripture is saying or what you're saying. All they can see, I guess, is like, well, that, you know, you're not being loving or something. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. And again, I'm sorry that, you know, you had those experiences of your friends, you know, saying things like that. Um, yeah, so I would affirm um, what MacArthur was saying. I, again, I don't know the full quote, but I would say that it is an act of love to speak the truth, right? So in the conversations and uh, when you're talking with either a non-believer or a person that has a very unbiblical understanding of an idea, yes, we do, again, want to be able to say what is truthful. Um, and, you know, that is part of a desire, our desire, hopefully, to care for that individual, right? Not crush them with the truth, but say, here's what God's Word says, and I, I want to show that to you. So a lot of it, I think you can say, is maybe the manner in which you're doing that. And a lot of what we're trying to talk about today um, is not to deaffirm the fact that we should be able to say at times, hey, here's why I think the position you're holding is unbiblical and wrong. It's more trying to get at if we're going to get to that point, let's make sure what we are saying is truly truthful and it's not overgeneralizing something that a person is saying. So maybe going a little bit to what Hillary's you know, comment was is that, 
you know, in having a conversation around feminism, what she's not trying to say is women don't deserve to be treated fairly, right? She would affirm that, but it's truly trying to understand, okay, how are we defining our terms? What do you believe? So hopefully she can make a point about the nature of in Christ, right, all of us are equal. So I would say, yes, we do want to speak the truth. Um, part of love can be in sharing the truth, but a lot of how we share things, you know, can matter. And, and that's part of the difference between Facebook where it's just text versus in person, you know. A lot of our uh, tone, uh, our intention can't be understood on something like a Twitter or Facebook. And that doesn't mean we should never share things. We can, but we just recognize the, the limitations that are there. So hopefully that makes sense at least a little bit. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other thoughts, questions? Um, Her question was, what's the ultimate goal? You know, what's the end game? Mm. Is it the manner to which we approach the person mm. as opposed to being right? Is it the end game? Yeah, that, that's... To someone to the gospel and to glorify mm. God and to, by, we by example, be Christ-like. So yeah. not necessarily, if, if that's what we're trying to say, mm. is, is how to be dealt with a friend. Yeah. How you Yes, yes, yes. And so sorry I missed that part. Yes, the, the end goal of anything, right? What are we trying to do? We want to make disciples and point people to Christ. And so hopefully as we're having any type of conversation that's always in the back of our mind, and as part of we, as we do that, of course, you can do both things. You can have hard conversations in which you are saying the truth, and you can do it in a manner that's loving. So sometimes, depending on our you know, personalities or our natural dispositions, we can think it has to be one or the other, um, but it really is a both hand. So be loving, be kind, don't overgeneralize, but when the truth is there, right, and it's going to be offensive that if you don't know Christ, you are destined for hell. Um, you know, we want to be able to say that as well. So yeah, thank you for that. Okay. Um, thoughts, questions, examples? Or are you just sitting there with your mind just like, I don't know what to think of it? Yeah. Yeah. How should we apply the um, statistics point to, for example, education? Because, like, for example, in English classes, a lot of times they'll have you do your research on this or that. And a lot of times they'll give articles, and sometimes the statistics will overlap, and you'll say, and you'll say okay, here's where the connection is. And that connection has also been proven. But sometimes when you go out and you do your own writing or your own research, find all these statistics and even though you can see the overlap it's not necessarily that doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's a connection mm. yeah if i'm understanding what you're saying it's just the thought that sometimes you'll have two statistics that maybe don't fully agree and so as maybe you're writing papers or thinking through issues how do you know well what is the true statistic versus what is not is, is that kind of the kind of but then also the example with um the washington dc like for example mm. Yeah, you know, again, I wouldn't say that there's a hard and fast way of applying it, right? I think it's just, especially if it's a paper, I think there's the understanding that you're going to do your best, right? It's not that you're writing this document that will forever be written down and forever this is what people think you're saying. You know, you do your best based on the information that you see, understanding that, you know, apart from Scripture, all of this can be fallible and wrong. And so, yes, do your best to find what seems to be the, the most researched and most accurate fact, do your best to present it, you know, truthfully, but then know, okay, ultimately, what is the one thing we can point to is, is God's word. So, yeah. 
Okay.